The Gospel lesson for this morning comes to us from the ninth chapter of Mark. And we find Jesus and the disciples just after um, he's, Jesus is about to tell them about how he's going to be crucified and die and rise again for the second time in Mark. He has already told them this, and they are making their way along the way. And, and there's, a, there's a man who wants the disciples to heal his son, and the disciples are unable to do so. So... They call on the big guns. Jesus goes, does the healing, and the disciples, a little later on in, in privacy, say, why weren't we able to do it? And he looks at them and says, I guess because that one required prayer. So they have been humbled again and again and again, and they're still in a state of not understanding, understandably. And this is where they fi- we find them along the way. Listen. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know it because he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask him. When they came to Capernaum and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent because on the way they had argued with one another who was the greatest. He sat down called the twelve and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. And then he took a little child and put it among them. And taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. So this was a hard week getting ready to preach this sermon because temptation was put in front of me. I'm reading the story from Mark 9 about the disciples arguing who is the greatest And on Twitter, somebody puts up that one of our candidates, uh, the one beloved child of God, has said, I will be the greatest representative of Christians that we have seen in a very long time. And I'm holding these two things and going, we don't preach politics. We don't preach politics. Thanks be to God. And remembering that, even when these are the conversations that we're having and the things that our minds are attuned to, that we are part of a much larger story and that there is an eternal story that has been passed down from generation to generation with which we are called to engage on this day. And remembering that the Marquis says Westminster at 75, and I should probably talk about 
Let us pray. Gracious God, Holy One, be with us on this day as we seek to follow you, to hear the word that you would have for us today. Be with me that the words of my mouth and be with us that the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When I was finishing up high school, uh, I grew up just outside of Manhattan in the suburbs, so we got to see musicals all the time, and there was this musical that had just swept Broadway, taken it by storm, called Rent. Have, I assume that most of you, many of you, have, have seen it. And it's the story of uh, young, starving artists living in the East Village uh, at a time that was overshadowed by the HIV-AIDS epidemic. An incredible, incredible musical that I actually didn't really like that much until I actually saw the story and put the music with the story. But woven throughout the musical itself is a song that speaks to or sings to the way that we mark and measure our time. 525,600 minutes, 525,000 moments, oh dear, you can sing. 525,600 minutes, how do you measure, measure a year? And it suggests we could measure them in, in daylights, in sunsets, in midnights, in cups of coffee in inches and miles, in laughter and strife. 525,600 minutes, how do you measure a year in life? And when the song was on heavy rotation on my Discman, which I had upgraded from my Walkman, but as it turns out, you can't really walk fast with a Discman, so upgrade might not be the appropriate word, I was not exactly living la vie bohème. I was a senior in high school, very much like TC. I, uh, I might have measured my uh, days, minutes in my year with snooze buttons, hit AP exams, arguments with my mother, notes passed during class, and we did not have text messaging or cell phones at the time, so I don't have the story that I walked both ways to school uphill, but I had to hand write those notes. <laughs> and, and I had to fold them so that they would not open when being either flicked, flung, passed behind my back during class. I, I only did that a few times. Um, and we did not have emojis or emoticons or different types of things. So when we wrote for your eyes only, we had to draw eyes. <laughs> Until this week, I had not thought about Rent or about that song in a very long time. But as I was thinking about Westminster in its 75th year and my own place in its history for 975th, I found myself singing, 525,600 minutes. How would I measure the years here at Westminster? My nine, our 75. My years here have been measured in meetings, in children, 
in hands shaken and hands held, in hospital visits, in baptism, in shared joys and hugs, in deep conversations, sometimes in arguments, in emails sent and updates posted, in more meetings, in sermons preached, in weddings officiated and funerals presided over, in holy, holy moments, and some mundane ones too, in coffees and lunches, and yes, in laughter and sometimes in strife. In this way, I imagine that my years at Westminster have been, can be measured not so differently than my colleagues or my predecessors and not so differently than the 75 years of people who have come and sat in these pews. An anniversary like this one we are witnessing to now is cause for both celebration and reflection. A time to take stock of where we are and where we would like to be for the next 75. But how do we measure? How exactly do we do this accounting? There are all sorts of metrics used by our denomination to measure our vitality. And every year, dutifully, Molly sends us all uh, a questionnaire asking us how many children have been Uh, in our Sunday school, how many adults, how many bodies have been in these pews, what are our membership numbers, how many baptisms have we had, how many adult baptisms have we had, how many people attend Sunday school, what are our pledge dollars, what's our budget bottom line, and what are the age and race demographics of our congregation. And we submit these numbers to the larger denomination, and eventually we find out where we fall. And we have reason in our 75th year in 2015 to reason to feel good about pressing scent. When measured in pew pad signatures and pledge dollars in young adults and baptisms, we have a lot to be thankful for. And on top of these kind of measurements, we do our own measurements here at Westminster. We ask Are the kids learning what they need to know? Is the choir being stretched? Are they being supported in the way they need to be supported? Do the worship services that we plan and lead, inspire and teach, are we providing space for newcomers? How are we doing our pastoral care? We are more diligent than many churches I've encountered. And these measurements, too, are important, and in our case, again, do point to the, the incredible health in this church. And I realize that I used to say I might be biased. I realize that after nine years, I am completely and totally biased. But I want to add, I'm not sure they're the best ways to measure our years. I'm not sure, actually I'm pretty sure that if you look at the statistics of Westminster, you might say, wow, that looks like a healthy church, but you wouldn't know the stories of that church, of this church, that wouldn't tell you the spirit and vitality that exists in this building. And there are others in this denomination who are beginning to question how we measure. How do we 
account for the ministry we're doing when the kinds of questions that are being asked don't apply to all circumstances. We have a very traditional setup here, but there are now churches that meet in pubs. There are churches that meet predominantly with people that don't have homes in parks. There are churches that move all around. There are churches that predominantly exist online. How do they measure how they're doing in following Jesus and in making disciples? Even though this church in its form looks very similar probably to the church that existed 75 years ago, the church at large is changing. And we are changing. I'm not, I'm not a numbers person. Anyone that's done budget with me probably can tell you that. But um, I, I don't care much for the numbers by which we are judged around our health. They're not what make me show up to church here. They're not what I brag about, God help me, when I'm proclaiming the greatness of Westminster. They may hint at our vitality, but I don't think they tell our story. Perhaps because of this gospel reading assigned for the day, I cannot help but wonder if our tendencies toward measurements might benefit from more questions and less answers. Jesus, after all, loved questions. And when he gave answers, they were, more often than not, in the form of stories, parables meant to provoke people into discovering the answers while they lived their lives. When he said, the kingdom of heaven, he did not say, this is the kingdom of heaven, here are your to-dos and to-don'ts. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. In our story for today, the disciples are once again following Jesus dutifully. And he gives them the second warning that happens in Mark, predicting his own death and resurrection. And they still don't know what to do with this information. The gospel says they didn't say anything because they were afraid to even ask at this point. Jesus was speaking to them about their future. About where they were now and where he and where they were headed. But his comments are just left there to dangle. But their fear does not keep them from having a different conversation on the way to the next place. One might say that it is also a future-oriented conversation. It's a, it's a measurement conversation. The text tells us what they were discussing along the way. They were discussing who was the greatest. And it doesn't say anything beyond that, but I sort of doubt they were going, no, I'm the greatest. No, I am the greatest. Uh, it might have been more nuanced than that. Perhaps they were talking about what the best ways of being followers of Jesus were and, and who they thought, maybe themselves, was doing that decently and in order and correctly. I don't know what that conversation looked like, but they were discussing along the way who was the greatest. They were measuring themselves against each other 
And maybe they were just measuring themselves against the rest of the world. Once they reached the house, Jesus, in his own Jesus way, asked them a question. What were you arguing about on the way? Now, this is the New Revised Standard Version's way of translating it, but it could also be translated, what were you talking about? What was the conversation you were having? Again, the disciples are silent, presumably because they did not understand anything, everything, but they knew enough to be embarrassed by the actual conversation that they were having. Preaching professor Caroline Lewis suggests that this question, what are you talking about, is more important than has been given credit in the past. And I wonder if it might be one of those questions in addition to how we measure, if it might be a good way to take stock of where we are in our own lives and as a particular body of Christ. What conversations are we having along the way? What are we talking about? Are the subjects that occupy our com- our, ourselves in this place and beyond worthy of bringing to God? Seventy-five years in, what are the conversations we're having? Are they worthy of bringing to God? Jesus does not leave them in this place of shame over their chosen conversation for long. He sits down in the posture of teaching and tells them, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. When I was thinking about this earlier, I thought, you know, he, he, it says in the story he calls the twelve to him. And there's, we know there's a child there somewhere. So presumably it's not just Jesus, the twelve, and a kid in this house. There are a lot more people. So he's bringing these twelve who have been arguing about who's the greatest into him to show them what he means in front of everyone else. His special people. And he takes the little child and puts it among them and then lifts the child up in his arms and says to them, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. In between the lines we might hear him saying, this is a conversation worthy of the gospel. Or hear the implied question, who are you welcoming As I mentioned, Jesus asked a lot of questions, some of them impossible to answer with a right word or phrase, most of them requiring the work of a lifetime. Most of these questions meant to be lived as answers. So I offer to you this morning some of the questions that Jesus asked as we reflect on who we are as a congregation, as the body of Christ in this particular place, Who do we say that God is? Why are we afraid? Who is it that you are looking for? What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what stories will we use to describe it? Are we willing to risk our lives in order to gain them? What are we talking about? 
We cannot submit these answers in our statistical reports, nor can we judge ourselves against others to determine who is the greatest among us, who is doing the best Christian thing. But I'm pretty sure Jesus does not care for our metrics. For Jesus, the whole world is at stake. For Jesus, the questions and the stories are the answers in and of themselves. For Jesus, who lived and died and was raised for us. The questions along the way, asking the right questions, are what make us who we are. They are ways to measure our years in love. So how will we measure our years? Amen.